2: Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.
3: This is The Current, presented by Brian Subaru, your home for all things two-lane athletics. The Current is also brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Louisiana, Capital One Bank, Mandeville Seafood, Louisiana Lottery, Tulane Orthopedics, Crystal Clear Imaging, Children's Hospital of New Orleans, Acme Oyster House, Dos Equis, Coca-Cola, and Surf Pro. Welcome back, my friends, to The Current, the official podcast of Tulane Athletics. I am Corey Glore, your lovely host for this particular program. And welcome to February... This month brings a bevy of activity around campus. This is a very fun time of year. The weather is warming, Mardi Gras is approaching, and there are a lot of winds happening in uptown New Orleans right now. Today, we're talking both past and present with Tulane Basketball. We'll catch up with Lisa Stockton. She'll be alongside as Women's Hoops continues to work up the conference standings. They got a big one this weekend in Tampa against South Florida. And Tim Brando of Fox Sports stops by to talk about his visit to Fogelman and Devlin 30 years ago calling Tulane basketball's first ever game on ESPN in that very historic 91-92 season. First up, it's the dancing man, Ron Hunter. Coach Hunter coming off of, well, a really good week. I think that's just, to put it simply, that was a really good week here at home, wasn't it?
2: Well, we went into the week saying we thought we we had to be 2-0 if we want to give ourselves a chance to have meaningful games in February and March. And so, uh... Uh, If you don't win those games, you're just right in the middle. and uh, This kind of separates us from the bottom. And uh, What we wanted to do is uh, give ourselves a chance when you're going to play a team like Houston that you're playing for a lot, and and we are for the first time.
3: I thought Saturday's game was a mature win for this team because they jumped out to a big lead, saw it all go away, and then they were down big halfway through the second half, and they didn't panic. They didn't lose the thread of what – they needed to do to come back and win that game that was uh that was your team growing up in front of your eyes
2: yeah you know we we we've been through that a lot this year and 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 have won some and lost some and uh, I think when you're going through that, you know, it, it hardens you, it gets you better, and so you don't panic. You know, I thought, you know, early in the year when we were get in that situation, we, we we panic, either offensively or defensively. And so we don't panic anymore. Uh, we become an experienced group. We're, we're hardened through all the things that happened to us early, which is why I said it's part of the process. And, you know, you, you know, boy, they say, boy, if we had played this way early. Well, if we had played this way in November, at some point you have to learn, and it catches up to you, and it could be now. So I'd rather learn that stuff early and then by the time you get to January and February, you're playing some of your best basketball.
3: I'm not sure there's anything that bugs you more during the game than a missed free throw. Yeah. And Saturday it was building up like that. Yeah. But how fitting it was that when this team needed to make free throws, and they did the 10 nothing run to end the game, all from the free throw line for this team. And I talked to Kevin Cross about this after the game and how you know Wichita closed off the perimeter. They're a really good defensive team. And so this group... Decided. All right, we're gonna draw contact. We're gonna to get to the line, and that's how we're gonna win it.
2: Yeah, you know, it's uh, the guys know the little things that, that drive me crazy. What end up winning or losing your games, whether it's taking care of the basketball and free throws. You know, you never mention those things, but those are crucial if you are gonna have an opportunity to win. And you know, he had to step up and make three three free throws, and we we were able to come back. Why? Because they turned the ball over, and so those critical things that you just don't think a lot about. You take care of the ball, you are gonna give yourself a chance to win. And if you make free throws, you'll be able to either increase your lead or to hang around when you need to win it.
3: You and I, I think, are starting to run out of superlatives for what Jalen Cook has given you here in his first year, but Saturday, there was such an ebb and flow to what he had to do and how he had to play. He was lighting it up in the first half. Nothing could really stop him. And then Wichita stopped him offensively in the second half, so he became a distributor. He became the guy that moved the offense around he and Kevin Cross worked in tandem beautifully in that second half and then when he stepped up when the game was on the line he came through
2: for you yeah you know um and I think really all of our guys that way you know he, he and Forbes it's, it's weird they kind of take turns in that regard. and so one game Forbes will do it he'll do it and uh, when you got talented guards you know it, it sometimes one of those two guys are going to be and when they're both on you're not beating us and so uh you know they're, they're both learning still how, how how to how to play this game at this level especially at a high level and being the good players and so uh they're getting better every day and more than better they're they're playing with a lot of confidence and when you play with confidence even your mistakes you think that you know I, I, i've got the next one and so that's the maturity of our basketball team that the ebb and flows as you talk about they can kind of get through those things
3: And you mentioned Jalen Forbes, too, and his numbers don't jump off the stat sheet from that game. But the five rebounds jump out, and so he wasn't able to score. Wichita took him out right away, but he was able to find ways to contribute. Had a huge and one down the stretch of that second half, and just finding ways where if your primary game is not there – Finding a secondary way to do it
2: Yeah, you know, we talk about making winning plays And probably one of the biggest plays he made all year was taking that charge You know, at oh, the yeah. end when, when, when we needed to stop right there And so that's what great players do You find other ways to win games And, and uh, he gets an and one on the other end And then he gets a charge I mean, you know, those don't go on the stat sheets that see, But those are two huge plays That's, you know, that's bigger than him getting 19 yeah. You know, and so, uh, you know, that's what really good players do uh, When that shot's not going, you can go win the game doing other things
3: Uh, Before we leave the specifics of that game here, Coach, I I don't think that's a win without RJ McGee coming through in a couple of huge moments in the last couple of minutes. A big offensive rebound got to the free throw line a couple of times. I talked with Coach Mock after the game, and he said there are times where it looks like RJ doesn't know what he's doing, but he's always in the right spot. And there, when he needed to be in the right spot to keep a possession alive, to hit some big shots at the free throw line, he kept it going for you.
2: You know, to, to have a really good team and every great team has them, you've got to have those guys that, uh, that want to do the dirty work, the little things that no one talks about. And I think he and Sion are probably the best at that. Yeah. Uh, they can guard, they're physical, uh, they, they make, you know, I wouldn't call them great shooters, but they make timely shots when you need them. Uh, they get those big rebounds. And so every team needs to have that. and and uh, and and that's what we've got, you know. Those guys, you know. And not only can they do that, they can, you know, if they need to go get seventeen at night, they can go get seventeen at night. And so uh, that's what makes us a good basketball team. And I think that you know, there's about seven or eight guys we can kind of talk about that's been playing like that through this run. Um, that uh, that you know, if somebody's down, this other guy picks them up.
3: We're nearly six minutes into our chat right now, Coach. And now I I think fans want to now hear you talk about. You're dancing at the end of the game, which it, there, there's another viral moment for you there, Coach. That blew up. And, and in the heat of the moment, in that moment, you're not thinking that what's going to happen is going to happen. But I, I think what that was, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that was, one, a release of how tense that game was, but also a recognition and an acknowledgment of what that crowd was for you Saturday. And there you were, front and center, Um appreciating what the student section brought you
2: guys. Yeah, you know, like we did with the, the two games before when we went to thank the, the band members. And that was huge that the band, pet band came out and, and how they played and helped us. And, and then that student section was absolutely jam-packed. And, and to hear how loud it got in there, again, and, uh, uh, and then for me personally, you know, I just, I've had visions of, of of this place would be the hardest place in the country to play. And so I just kind of wanted to celebrate with them. And I saw some people dancing, and I thought, oh, no, he came in, and I never would outdance me, so... <laughs> (laughs) so i went out and had a little fun with it but uh you know we want we we want people to come back and you know to enjoy man it's fun coming to a two lane basketball game and that the environment everybody talks about yeah the win was great but the environment was incredible and uh, you want to make sure that you add to that and and the environment stays incredible in this building
3: how many post-game dance sessions have you had in your time coaching
2: uh, enough that I need to watch what I'm doing because I'm getting older uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sore oh, I've had a little ice foot on the hips and the knees and all that stuff man and uh we were going to go out to dinner that night and I was like, nah, let me just stay in. But, uh, but it's fun. It's, it's been fun. Uh, the positive notoriety for our program is incredible and, and it's great. And, and when people start thinking about Tulane Athletics, you know, you start thinking about, man, they're winning now and they're having fun winning. And, uh, you know, we want to get this place where, you know, it's hard to get a ticket in this place. That's, that's, that's my, that's my dream and fantasy about getting this and we're going to get that thing done. And, um, I'm just proud of what the, you know, the students can uh, come and watch a game like that.
3: There was a photo taken after the game of, jalen cook on top of the broadcast table facing that student section and you see like you don't see empty seats in that student section how everyone is reacting to what that comeback was and and there's jalen with his teammates behind him just soaking it all in those are the moments that you just i just gotta chill talking about it right here like it's that's what you've been building for, right? And, you know, we're we're not where we want to be yet, but that was, you felt like that was a moment Saturday that this program now is starting to, open people's eyes
2: yeah yeah it, it really is and it's also you know even even for the old coach i i, I like to that those things get out there and the students are there and our, our kids are up there and uh because when people kept telling me man you know you can't win at this place they, they'll never come to the games there there's no enthusiasm in the building it's a dead end job and i love hearing those type of things because you know for so before it's all said and done with uh we're gonna get the last laugh with that
3: yeah, I think about how many of the, the football program are at that game, the video of the baseball team watching the end of the game that came out on Twitter, the women's team was about to play next. They were watching the game, and everyone just kind of supporting each other right now when starting to recognize what's happening here with this team and, and just pulling off another one like that against Wichita State, which is a, so much better than that one-in-five mark shows. It's just – I, I I'm starting to wax poetic about it, but that that's just one of those things, right? Where it just mm. that's what makes you appreciate the sport.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm a big believer that winning is contagious. And so, you know, uh, all of a sudden they, they, we're doing that, and, you know, baseball practice a little bit harder. And boy, they can't wait to get there. You know, football team come in into spring football. Boy, see what the basketball team's doing. Let's, you know, let's go practice hard. I, I just think that's what happens, you know, in institutions is somebody kind of takes that lead. But winning can become contagious. And so, uh, uh, and what people understand about our group is that is going to happen for a while because these guys are so young. You know, we're going to be together for a very long time. And so, uh, uh, the days of that old, bas- the old Tulane basketball, that, that stuff's done. It's a new day in Tulane basketball these days.
3: I was at Uber Shift on Saturday night to make up for the breakfast.
2: Yeah, I got one more weekend to get it done. <laughs> I didn't make enough man. I got I got one more weekend here to uh I gotta pay for that pizza we paid for the band, That's too.
3: Right, you bought a pizza. I mean and, and you know and that got a lot of play too, but what that what that built was close to the environment that you're hoping for there and and that got people excited to come on out for an 11 a.m. tip-off and it got the students out there and it it, you know media was all out here last week and and it was a nationally televised game and so it's that's all part of the process too right it's getting attention focused on this
2: program yeah you know you 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 want national tv to come back and you know you want the officials to think you're good you want the, you know um, I I didn't get a chance to really kind of you know look around and take it in because I'm you know I'm trying to coach in that but but afterwards when I got at home you know i just you know i kind of sit back and say you know we're heading that right direction we're nowhere close to where i want to be nowhere close but we're heading that right direction and i'm just talking about from a consistent winner here and uh that's that's my whole goal and so as we're building this i i, I didn't do the come here and win for one year or get us to win nca tournament the consistency of willing a traditional winner that's what i'm trying to get down here to lane
3: i did wonder at one point if any of your guys knew who Marcus Camby was who was sitting there courtside watching his Godson, Tyson Etienne for Wichita State. Mm-hmm. If any of them recognize who that was, the type of player, the longevity he had, the NBA, did any of these kids know who was sitting courtside that game?
2: No, I, I don't I don't know if they knew. I think I heard may have heard one of them talk about it. I love that we were focused about it, but I uh, I wanted to be where where the who's who coming in and watching us play. It is hard to get a ticket. You want to come in and, hey, what's going on in Tulane the these days? And that's that. That's the kind of thing that we want. And so whether it's a pro player or an actor or entertainer or any celebrity you want to come, come on in and watch us play. You know, again, uh, it's, it's it's going to be entertaining. But, but, again, you know, we're trying to build a winner here. And that's, that's, that's what we're trying to get people to understand, not only in New Orleans but around the country.
3: The great thing about having a great week like we just had was that it gives you the opportunity for another one. And it, now it, we're pushing towards something in the back half of conference play. You alluded to what's coming up with Houston and one of the best teams in the country growing right now. Then back home Saturday for a little revenge matchup with, with East Carolina. And that that's where it, it feels so good to be around this program right now because you're playing so well. And that means there are so many important games mm-hmm. to come here. And it starts Wednesday night in Houston.
2: Well, as I told the guys, every game from here on out in the next five weeks, five or six weeks are going to be what I call big games. You know, we've we've put we've earned ourselves right to be in this type of games, and, and uh, you know now you got to go try to steal some wins on the road in that regards. But you know, what a great environment we'll have with a sold out arena in Houston and and uh, a top ten team, and, and for us to have an opportunity to knock them off, and more importantly, they close get closer to them. And again, you know, we just feel like we always have something to prove, and and it's just another step for us to, to go do this. They're a very good basketball team, and, but we are. Also, you know, it always used to be how everybody else is really good, and we just hope we play well. You know, uh, the other teams are playing good teams now, also. Tulane has a really good basketball program, and so if you don't come prepared and ready to play, you're gonna get beat.
3: Do you stress some of the big picture stuff with it? Not just the matchup with Houston and, and what they've been this year, but also, you know, six wins in the league that matches the most that this program's had in conference in this conference's history like do, do you open that up to these guys do you say we're going to play number six team in the nation here wednesday or do you just look hey we're going to go play a basketball team here wednesday night and we're going to go and move to seven and three if we can
2: our guys know that they're ranked i don't have to talk about that i don't have to mention much of that and um, winning the six games i mean I, i'm our goal is so much more than that that it never comes up. And so again, that's why I always stress where I'm trying to get to. You know, I, I, I'm always thinking the big picture. When we were three and six, I wasn't worried about the record. Just like I'm not worried about the winning the six games now. What I want to do is continue to get better, continue to get better. We got a big time game on Wednesday, but guess what? We have a big time game next Saturday. <laughs> you know. And so uh, since I've been here, we haven't had those. And now you know that we've got those and, and and learn how to win those games now. And and just as I told the guys, just like in a game, we want to hang around into that last week of March. Everybody. Doing to look around and say, Oh my goodness, Tulane can win this conference. And so that's what we want to do. And so we got to find a way to steal some road wins and win at home. And let's just kind of see what happens at the end. But we, just like in a game, we want to be sitting at that late last week of March. And people are saying, Tulane's got a chance to win a championship here.
3: Well, coach, I had a, a front row seat to your post game celebration Saturday. And I can't imagine what that would look like Wednesday night in Houston. So I, I would love to see that, Make, get the ibuprofen ready just in case. But a uh, great week that we just came off of, and here's to another great week coming up, Brian.
2: Well, let's go get some wins, let's have a better week this week.
3: Number six Houston coming up Wednesday night from the Fertitta Center, then back home Saturday against East Carolina. First half of the year has been great, folks. The second half should be even more exciting. All right, let's catch up with Lisa Stockton. They get ready for their trip to Tampa. Coming up this weekend, some revenge on their minds against the Bulls. But first up, a home game with Tougaloo College Wednesday night. She'll talk about how that game came together and more. And now I turn it over to the voice of Tulane women's basketball, Gus Katya. Hi,
4: thank you, Corey. Welcome back to another edition of The Current Podcast here with head coach Lisa Stockton of the Tulane Green Wave. Coach, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. You get a nice win over the weekend and... I guess uh, we got blessed with an absolutely gorgeous Monday to start off, huh? Exactly. Good way to start the week. (laughs) Indeed. You know, you go back to the win on uh, Saturday, and when you look at that game, we're going to get into some particulars, but Coach, we've done pretty good at home this season, and I know it's something you touched on at the beginning of the year. It's important to win on Ferret Street and to be able to constantly take to the court and then win for the fans. I thought a really nice crowd. Uh, it's, It's important, isn't it?
5: Yeah. I mean, it's always nice. You, you're, you're the comforts of home. You know, I I definitely am one of those people that feel like that, you know, you, your team's got to be ready to play in adverse situations and on the road. But it's always nice to be in the comfort. I, I love our arena. You talk about you know, the crowd can be involved in it. it. It's a home court advantage in that. You know, even if it's not full, you've really got a good atmosphere. Our band and cheerleaders are there. I mean, we haven't had them in a long time. So it's, you know, it's it's sports how it's supposed to be now. You know, we got fans in the stands, they got some noise.
4: 75 55 was the final against ECU. And you go back to the last two games, really good first quarters. What was it, 22 9 at UCF, 23 7 in this one? You have to like coming out of the locker room, focused it, and getting out to a nice lead in the first quarter in the last two games.
5: Well, I felt that was really important. Um, yeah, we we actually, I think you and I discussed before the game. Is that I felt like even maybe the defenses we picked, we were that that we were going to run was more about us being aggressive. And I, I thought we came out very aggressive and, you know, got our fast break going, got some steals, just just got some good looks. And yeah, it just felt like we looked comfortable. And yeah, that that that's really what you want to see. You know, when you take a look at that second quarter. Coach, have you
4: ever been in a game where literally it took the, the final 33 seconds to get your first points
5: of a quarter? And what what happened in that quarter? No, I don't remember that ever <laughs> doing that. But you know, I, I definitely, um, you know, I felt like we we subbed and we just we kind of lost our rhythm a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, made some mistakes and and turned the ball over a little bit. But uh, you know, the nice thing is we have come out so strong. It was probably one of those things that we let down. You know, the score got away. We kind of let down a little bit and um you know at halftime i mean my message to them was that you know it's intensity it's about being focused it's about you know doing the things right not just getting through the game and you know i felt like right before the half we just had lost a lot of that momentum and you know we came back in third quarter and i was glad to see our team respond i think we responded more defensively i thought i thought defensively we really kind of shut them down and um really made some good runs and and took over
4: interesting you say that it was a 33-18 third quarter I guess I was going to say, what was that message in the locker room at halftime?
5: Well, I mean, you know, again, the message is pointing out that things that that we need to be better than that. And we need more, more intense than that. And I think it's, you, you know, you're going into February and I think you, you kind of look at it to where, you know, we got to leave, you're coasting a little bit. I mean, you just can't do that. Our league's just way too good for that. And, you know, we, we kind of got it back. I, I, I don't know. It looked like we were a little fatigued at times in that second quarter. So, mm-hmm. you know, I thought we came out in the third quarter and you didn't see anything like that. I mean, I thought we started playing our our brand of basketball. We got up down the floor. As you said, we scored a bunch of points in that third quarter. And, you know, that was really good to see. Is it, fiery halftime locker room
4: speech it's more about the movies? Or, or, Coach, can you take us behind the scenes here? Are you like that? Do you spike water bottles as Coach Fry, throw towels, or did you have fiery speeches? Well, well, what is it I'm like when y'all that, talk at halftime?
5: I'm not going to say we've never done any of that stuff. I'm not. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think part of it is it is trying to get a little bit of emotion from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes a personality of a team, you're not sure who's going to lead that. But uh, I think – Giving people answers, you know, it's got to be energy, it's got to be our type of basketball. We've got to go out and, and we've got to take control, you know, really encouraging them to do um, the things that they can control. You can control if all the three point shots go in, but you know, I, I definitely believe that sometimes you got to wake them up. I mean, again, at the end of the day, they're college kids, right? And you know, you got to wake them up and, and um, get them going and get them focused again. And I, I was glad to see if we came out. Can you think of a movie
4: or something that, that has a coach scene? In a sports movie where they have great rants or tossing chairs or something like that, is that something that that you can recall in a movie that kind of stands out to that? Maybe you chuckle and like, "I was close to doing that. I I wanted to do that."
5: Well, we always want to do that, you know. I'm definitely more of the school of uh, the the Dean Smith or the Pat Summit. I'm not the Bobby Knight, so you know, I'm not the chair throwing Bobby Knight. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. they have those. It's not me. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of a reasonable argument. Now, I will tell you, Pat Summit would be intense. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it, but, you know, I think you got to know your team, you know, and that's that's just not the way we operate it. We don't really do that, but i mean God, there's a lot of movies, you know, you can think about a lot of movies like that and, you know, the motivation and things like that, but I, I don't know when you play 30 games, mm-hmm. you can't have a motivational thing at every halftime before the game. That's just not reasonable. So, you know, you, you better save those for those special moments.
4: That's true. Never really thought about that. Speak with head coach, Lisa Stockton. I would probably say I I'm more of the emotional one. Ty Griffin, you know who that is former voice of the wave now with the Pelicans. He would text me consistently sometimes when things don't go well. Throw a chair, do something. So yeah, he is definitely somebody that that would uh, that would kind of toss something. All right, so you guys got settled into that third quarter and, and get the win. A couple of nice performances in that game. Dinah Jones again recognized by the conference making the honor roll. She continues a nice stretch of games. She does,
5: and you know in, in that game. um, you know, she had 14 points. Um, she she missed some shots. Yeah, you know, I felt like it was pretty physical in there. She missed some shots, but she had seven assists. Um, I think a good all-around floor game. That that's important. Again, I think you talk about the emotional. You know, sometimes the emotional leader. I think that can be Diana a lot of times. and mm-hmm. she plays with emotion and you know aggression and and all that. And I, I definitely think her teammates feed off of her. Um, but yeah, she had she had a good game. And and I know you and I talked before the before talking today is that, you know, I thought Kayla Anderson had an extraordinary game. And it was so good to see because, again, East Carolina is a team that they press and they trap you and they're coming at you. And as you can see, they have great size. Um I thought she, she did a, a, a terrific job.
4: I was going to go there next, Coach, because, you know, Sue was unavailable, so you started Kayla Anderson. And sometimes when you start a player – that, that maybe hasn't started, I'm not going to say you 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 wonder how they're going to perform. In, in this case, you wouldn't even come close to that because I've thought, and we've talked about this before, Kayla's played some pretty important minutes. I spoke with her, I think the the road trip it, to Texas. We went to, you know, SMU in Houston. I said, you know, you've played some really big moments and minutes in these games. Sometimes it, you'll see it in a box score. Other times it's a, you know, two-on-one fast break and she's back there and she'll – Tipped the ball and it winds up being either goes out of bounds and a turnover later or a steal. I feel like she's had some big minutes for you this year that sometimes show up in a box score and don't. Am I right with that?
5: Definitely. I mean, I think yeah, you know, Kayla's played a, a lot of quality minutes in her in her career, not just this year. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. she's been a big part of 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 our program, and and I, I do think that's special when you have. I've got three players on this team that I've coached five years. I mean, how you know, it's a really fortunate thing and. You know, for her, she's got great energy and just intensity. She loves the game. Whether she's on the bench or on the floor, she has emotion, and there's a lot of enthusiasm in that. But you're right. I mean, if anybody's going down on a fast break, sometimes I'd rather our smallest player be back there because she'll take it from mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think she, she – you know, that game in particular, I mean, we tried to leave her in there as long as we could to get a double-double. She ended up with nine assists. So we, we really wanted that for her. But, you know, I, I think being – hitting open shots hitting her shot defending and being able to find people and putting them in their spot she does that so well and you know I, I definitely think how we finish the season if we if we go where we want to go and be in postseason it's going to be plays like that like that, that she was able to come in and do are going to really make that happen
4: yeah no doubt nine assists to go with those 10 points and it was just right there for a double double obviously her speed is something that you really see a lot as well her fiery competitiveness is that's another one as well. Do, do you guys kind of catch yourselves when you're watching film or breaking down the game, the, the, the looks or perhaps the shoulders that she bumps with the other players as well? Do you notice that?
5: Well, of course we notice that. And the other <laughs> thing on, is, you know, I think the other thing on the bench is she gets real emotional, and sometimes we have to tame her down. So uh-huh. I have to talk to her about just making sure that, you know, she she didn't walk onto the floor or anything like that because she does get emotional. And, you know, I think the, the thing you ask as a coach is, do they care? You know, how much do they care no matter where they fit in the role? And she's definitely one of those. I mean, she's she loves her teammates and she's she's in it no matter what. And when she's out there, she's fiery, sometimes a little too fiery. We know mm-hmm. that. Um but it does—it does add something. I think when you need um, a little swagger, and, and she definitely has it.
4: Yeah, it's interesting. We've talked a couple of times about Crystal Freeman and her growth from really the first year she got a ton of minutes to really where she is now. And and Kayla is is a, is a unique sort of story in her time at Tulane, huh, Coach? I mean, she's worn the sea a couple of years as a captain, sometimes mm-hmm. playing a lot of minutes, sometimes not. But I almost feel like in her time here, she's been somebody that. I always see her talking to you. You talking to her one way, shape, or form. You you, you've had to depend on her every now and then, and it's been an interesting kind of journey to see her. And and like I said, incredible moments I think this year, key moments to win games.
5: Well, I mean, you know, again, Kayla's been such a part. You talk about she's a three-year captain. You know, you talk about been a huge part of of um, our program and, um, you know, point guards and, and head coaches talk a lot and, you know, for, for Kayla getting her insight on things sometimes is really important. And I think, you know, uh, she, she sets a tempo for us and she knows what we want. And when you have a fifth year point guard, I mean, they, they know you and they know wh- what what they need to do. And, and she's definitely done that. And I, I'm just so glad that, you know, she's playing well, finishing up her senior year and she's really playing well and, and playing confidently. She ever
4: walked to the bench? And she goes, I know, I know, I know. And she knows what you're about to tell her <laughs> when she maybe doesn't
5: do something they, right. <laughs> they all do. Right? You can all do that. You know, everybody knows. But, um, but yes, I mean, it, you know, she, I think it, again, sometimes is, is her job out there is to be that floor leader and communicate with everybody. And, you know, you know, my job is to communicate with her and, you know, it's a great connection. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm just very really grateful to have her.
4: Final thing. And then we'll quickly touch on South Florida coming up on this weekend. Is she the fastest player on the team? That's probably yes, huh? Well
5: you know, Moon's pretty fast. Um you know, I, I don't know. We might have to put him end to end. I don't mm-hmm. know if it, it's if it's for a prize, I I think it'd be pretty close. Um so I don't know. This, I don't know if she's fastest. Who
4: who's the fastest player that you can easily say is that you've had on since you've been at Tulane?
5: You know, that's really,
4: God, it's really hard.
5: Uh, you know, I mean, Grace Day was a really fast player. Rashonda Barnes, I mean, you know, you got, there's so many out there. You got Chassie Brown, you got all these different players that were fast. So, I don't know. I, I, I've i been fortunate enough to have a lot of really good athletes in the program. So, I don't know, we may, may have to put them online and, and run them. I don't know. Some of them are getting old now. Mm-hmm. So they, they they probably couldn't
4: compete. I'll tell you what. You put me and Coach Fry on it and see how long, see how many minutes it would take to go from end to end. No, <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that. No,
5: <laughs>
4: we we'd pull something, Coach. We would. All right, South Florida coming up this weekend. It's uh, 11 a.m. tip time Central here. Over there, man. They've had they've had some games where they they've had to either win late or have been really pushed and challenged this year. I know you keep telling us that the conference is a good one this year. So, has it been surprising some of their tight games and the amount of losses they've had this year, or are you not surprised because of the conference play?
5: No, I, I will tell you when you talk about South Florida and their close games. I, I mean, I definitely um, I definitely believe the conference is really good. I, I don't think it's a. I definitely don't think it's a a negative, uh, to South Florida. I, you know, they, they've added an all-conference player from Memphis to their team. I, I think they're really, really good. Um, but the, the league's better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at we're we're ranked sixth best league, we're right there. It's the highest it's been ranked since, um, I, I, since we joined the league. So I, I definitely believe they've been challenged and, you know, central Florida is one that's got eight, uh, seniors and, and they've, They've defeated them, so I think it's more of a, a reflection of the league than South Florida. And you know, we, as we all know, going there is never an easy place to play.
4: No doubt. Before then, and, and before we turn our attention to the Bulls, Tugaloo College coming in on Wednesday night over on Ferret Street. What can you tell us about them? What kind of challenge they will present?
5: Okay, so you know, that's that kind of came up on the schedule, and I want to explain why we did it. You know, we, um, you know, as you and I talked about, I think that we really tried to. playing games you get better if you play games and we want to keep a schedule it's been so tough during Mm -hmm. covid to keep a consistent schedule and so we were going to have eight days between our last game and when we played south florida and it just really felt like that we wanted to stay in rhythm and you know we've had a a a bye week you know we're, we're pretty healthy right now so we didn't need the necessarily need the rest and you know adding um adding the team because we got two games canceled um, I thought it was really important. I thought it was important that we just stay in rhythm, that we stay focused on, you know, this opponent, and then coming up and preparing for South Florida. And the other thing is adding an AI team. It doesn't hurt you as far as your R- RPIs and nets and all that. That doesn't hurt you if you if you add a Division One opponent. That's you know that's a, a problem there. But I definitely think you're going to see a, uh, a team that's athletic. Um, they really defend very well. You know, it they they've certainly played at a different level. Um, you know, we've had some communication with our coaches. I mean, they're really excited about the opportunity to play us. And it's, it's going to be a little different kind of game, obviously, because mm-hmm. of, of what our schedule's been. But I definitely think it's going to be important within our rhythm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, uh, we're going to go in. I, I did tell Jose at South Florida, I said, we're going to play somebody else so we don't concentrate on y'all. Because when it and <laughs> you guys, we're not ready to play. Um, so I, I'm hoping that we can go out there and have fun with it and just sharpen some things up. Um, and, you know, it gives us another home game. So it gives us an opportunity to play in Devlin and, and um, you know, get our kids out there.
4: 6 p.m. to tip time on Wednesday. And Coach Lisa Stockton, as always, appreciate the time as you sit down with us and talk a little women's basketball on the podcast here on The Current. Thank you for your time. Thank you,
3: guys. Alright, a few chances to get out this week and support two lane basketball, folks. Women on Wednesday night, six o'clock the tip off for a Tugaloo. Then the men on Saturday afternoon with East Carolina. That's a one o'clock start time from Fogelman
2: in Devlin. Now one, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're gonna pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto They're really good at numbers.
3: <laughs> Auto Trader. Uh, Both head coaches have highlighted here on this show how great the environment at that arena was back on Saturday, how loud that building gets. Just like 1992 when Tulane Men's Hoops made their first ever NCAA tournament and 30 years ago this past Sunday was the anniversary of ESPN's first ever broadcast from Ferret Street. And longtime play-by-play broadcaster Tim Brando was on the call. Pleased to be joined on the current by longtime play-by-play broadcaster of you name the sport, you name the network. Right now it's Fox Sports. It's Tim Brando, legendary play-by-play broadcaster. Tim, thank you for the time. Legendary Louisianian as well. Uh, Thank you for jumping on with me here as we're going to reminisce a little bit from some old school two line basketball. How are you doing?
1: I'm wonderful. I appreciate, uh, the opportunity to come on with you. And yeah, um, I've uh, almost run out of networks to work for. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean- I've
1: worked for. I've worked for all of them except NBC. And, uh, but it's been, you know, the good news is the, the phone keeps ringing and people still want to use me. So, uh, as long as that's the case, right. I'm, I'm into my fifth decade, uh, in this business, uh, and soon to be my sixth, uh, You know, if I if I can last another uh, four years, I'll be into my sixth. So that's going to be wild. But um, I'm 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 the uh, I'm the guy Corey that probably falls into the category of, and this is something I think uh, young uh, broadcasters need to keep in mind: found opportunity. Two words: found opportunity. Uh, At some point, if you keep if, if if you just keep grinding. Uh, An opportunity will find you. And when opportunity meets preparation, boom, you know, great things can happen. And different times in my career, uh, going back 50 years to 1971, uh, 50 years ago, this past September the 10th, I did my first high school football game uh, in Shreveport at Captain Shreve Stadium, Neville High School uh, on KLIC at Monroe and uh i worked with my father on that game so i did have a little bit of help in the sense of nepotism getting me the opportunity but when the red light comes on you know there's nothing the guy can do for you that is responsible for you being there you've got to do it and uh uh, my father called uh, the play-by-play in the first half i did the analysis such as it was for a 14 year old (laughs) and then uh and then we switch. We'd switch spots, and I would do play-by-play play in the second half. You know, just to get me a little bit comfortable, lathered up, so to speak. So, I got to call the exciting third and fourth quarters of those games, and uh, and here we are, uh, fifty-one years later, and I'm still at it, and um, and I'm still a relatively young-hearted sixty-five-year-old guy. So, I'm uh, I'm one of those guys that took advantage of opportunity. Uh, and, and was prepared once I had that opportunity. And so if you use two words to describe my career, I use found opportunity. And um, there are different examples of that, but that was the first one. Another one came a little bit later when I worked my first ESPN game on January the 5th of 1985 with Dick Vitale, who was already established in 1985. Uh, ESPN had been on the air for six years at that point. And my first game on the network was Duke at Virginia. Duke was number two in the country with, uh, that uh, recruiting class that would eventually get them to the final four, the following year in 86, uh, Amaker Dawkins, you know, Mark Allery, Jay Billis, those guys. And, uh, you know, I'm working with Dickie V and then the phone started ringing and the rest was history. So, um, those two dates sort of stand out one in 1971, another one in 85. And, uh, you know, if you can get one of those seminal moments uh, every decade, then, you know, good things can happen.
3: Yeah. I was telling you before we started going here, Tim, about when I was mentioning to some fans recently that you were going to be on this week to talk about a game that we're about to talk about here. They all start their eyes lit up. The biggest smile showed up on their face because, Tulane basketball back in in 91, 92, the 30 years ago, when, when they made their first ever NCAA tournament and their first ever nationally televised game was with you on the call and Fogelman and Devlin against Southern Miss and the fans that have been yearning for basketball to return to glory here at Tulane recall vividly that broadcast or being in that (laughs) arena for that mm-hmm. game when Tulane was at really the height of its basketball power. When you got that assignment, did you know that was the first trip to Tulane for ESPN? Did you know what the importance was for fans here that you guys were coming?
1: Yeah, I did. And and because I had lived and worked there, uh, when Tulane uh, went through not only a, a great period of basketball, but also, Uh, a scandalous period of college basketball in the 80s. I was actually, one of my first breaks was doing the old Metro Conference game of the week. Uh, In fact, it was the first conference along with the ACC and SEC to give me a chance to do games outside of Louisiana. I'd been doing uh, Dale Brown's LSU Tigers on Tiger Vision, which was a uh, uh, university run pay-per-view cable thing, right when the boxes, you know, the cable thing had just become a big deal. Yeah. In night in the early 1980s. And uh ESPN had been on the air for uh maybe two years when that happened, 81, 82. And um this was an opportunity to get videotape, you know, to get reels of your work to send out to hopefully get, you know, greater opportunities. Well, uh a syndicator named Sports Productions Incorporated SPI which would later become Lorimar, which would later become Jefferson Pilot, which then merged with Raycom Sports, all of that, okay? I was on the ground floor of that. And they asked me to do the Metro Conference Game of the Week. Steve Grody, an old Michigan guard, and um, uh, Jack uh, Gibbons, Goose Gibbons, uh, were the analysts. And I would work with either one of those guys every week. And in those days, uh, Tulane had just, Uh, hired Ned Fowler who had taken over for Roy Danforth and Ned had a really good team he was a great coach had a really good team uh but that team included uh John Hot Rod Williams and John Hot Rod Williams uh along with a few others on that team as well as Memphis and uh, William Bedford Keith Lee and a few others on that team were a part of a uh uh an NCAA probe into point shaving, And one of the games that I had, that uh, was, was a syndicated game that was used in court, by the way, <laughs> was a game between Tulane and Memphis state at Fogelman uh, in the eighties. Okay. So, you know, it was, it was an incredible period because they were a good team. They had played, I think in the 82 NIT and beat LSU a year after uh Dale Brown had taken his team to the final four so they had had some moments you know some really good moments in the 80s but it was you know they, they hit an all-time low with that scandal and it yeah. took them forever to dig their way out of that uh negativity and when Perry Clark came along the program took off with Perry and Perry I had known really well he had been on Bobby Crimmins's staff at Georgia Tech so I had a really good relationship with Perry uh, as a, one, of, one of the, the assistants for, for Bobby, uh, who's one of my favorite people in basketball. If, if you were calling college basketball during the mid-'80s and early-'90s and you were doing Lethal Weapon 3, uh, as I did in, the, the, in that period there in the early-'90s and even before that when Yvonne Joseph and Mark Price and John Sally and all those guys were playing in 86, you know, Perry was a part of that. He was on that staff. So he was a big time hot in mind uh, to be a head coach and take over. And he, he knew that if he could get just a few athletes, basketball was big in that part of the world in, in South Louisiana. John Thompson was routinely coming into new Orleans and getting players like Dwayne Bryant, or a bunch of other guys to go to Georgetown. It wasn't like Dale Brown was, uh, coming in and getting every great player in Louisiana. I mean, Dale, Dale recruited foreign athletes. He recruited, uh, you know, people like John who later became known as John hot plate Williams uh, from Crenshaw high school out of uh, LA. Uh, Great John Williams was one of the best, most versatile players of his time in the mid eighties. But he went national with his program. So there were great players in and around the new Orleans area that Perry thought he could get. And he got, Uh, they weren't necessarily five stars, but they were really good players. And that, along with what was left, okay, from what he inherited, uh, put him in a position to have a really good team in, in at that time in a league where they were playing, uh, you know, quality clubs like Virginia Tech, like Louisville. You know, the Cardinals had great teams with the Wagners and the um, – and the McRays and all the, all the unbelievable talent that Benny Crom had had through the years. So there were going to be occasions when uh, big games might take place. Clarence Witherspoon of Southern Mississippi was one of the top talents. He was going to be an NBA player. And uh, he was playing for MK Turk. They had gone to the tournament. Uh, I think had won 10 games uh, in the league that, that the year they did. Uh, I think they were 10 and six, something like that. So a quality team. And uh, they were returning a good squad when they played. And so this was a game that when I saw it, I said, man, this is going to be fun. Not only do I get to see my friends in New Orleans, but I get to work with V. And uh, Jimmy and I had done, you know, quite a few games together by that point. And he was a rock star. I mean, if you weren't working with Vital at ESPN, the guy you wanted to work with was Jimmy V. uh, And Raft. You know, that, yeah. those, that, that was sort of our big three. Uh, and I'm still working with Three to this day. I'm going to be with him uh, a week from um, Tuesday. We'll be together at the Garden in New York doing um, a Villanova St. John's game. So <laughs> it's, it's great to be back with uh, the governor. But um, those, were, those were always coveted by me, particularly since I knew a lot of people and a lot of people knew me sort of like a welcome home Timmy D kind of vibe so it was always fun and they were ranked, you know they're 18th in the country and we're worthy of, of being on national tv and I thought because I knew what Fogelman was like I'd been there when the, the, the action was good I told Valvano, I said you're going to believe it's going to be like a, a poor man's Cameron Indoor Stadium to you you're going to you're going to see this place rock okay and there'll be people who have their kneecaps in the, in your backside, you know, they'll be sitting so close to you on these bleachers. And uh, so it won't be comfortable, but you'll be sweating like a pig because there's no air conditioning in there, just like Cameron. Uh, and if there is any, the vents are not putting out enough air for you to cool off. So it's going to be wild, but you'll have a good time. I knew that. And uh, it was everything that I had expected uh, took place that night.
3: Well, I can tell you this, the air conditioning works now in that building, <laughs> but the fan, you still have kneecaps in your back. I found yeah. out Saturday when we had yeah. a wild comeback over Wichita. Um, yeah. When you show up for that game and you, you tweeted this out a, about a week and a half ago, your throwback to this game and right. your photos with you and Jimmy V courtside and the fans that were in there. When you walk in and you get ready for that broadcast, does it hit you that the the fans around you are treating this maybe bigger than most games because you're there?
1: I don't necessarily believe, believe because I was there or V was there. Although V is a rock star. I mean, he, he captures everyone's imagination, especially, you know, in 1991 too, we're talking about a guy that was, you know, within eight years of winning a national title and, at that point had already been a fixture in everyone's mind about college basketball and big time championship runs and all that. I was actually doing radio in New Orleans in 83 when uh, V won the national championship. And one of my, my biggest moments was in those days, they only had 48 teams in the tournament. And uh, I picked NC state to win it all. I mean, I picked them to win it all out of 48 teams. And uh, Hap Glaude, who had worked at WWL for years, was on opposite me. Uh, I was doing nightly sports talk radio on WGSO over on Canal Street. We were the home radio station, by the way, for Tulane uh, in those days. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of folks at that time, as you can imagine, Corey, that were suspect of me getting the job uh, because I had been doing LSU games on Tiger Vision the year before. And was considered dale brown's protege and of course tulane hated lsu they were big still rivals. do still do and yeah <laughs> and i had to win these people over like uh yeah i mean i'm doing lsu because they've got games to broadcast and it's an opportunity but i'm nobody's uh, houseboy. you know i love college basketball and i don't plan to be uh an lsu broadcaster i plan on being a national broadcaster and you'll find this out well in the time that i was working at the station in new orleans uh, I did win those fans over by that that time. I had done. Uh, Tulane did not have a baseball network at that time. Uh, they had a really good program. Joe Brockoff was the coach, and uh, they were making runs to conference championships, playing against Ron Maestri's UNO team during the regionals of the NCAAs. And uh, I called some of those games on the radio on WGSL, and so some Tulanians came around to understand that Brando's just a uh, a hot dog that loves to call games and no matter who he's calling him for, he's, he's one of us, you know, he's a new Orleans, he's a Louisiana guy, not not an LSU guy. So uh, it was great to come back and especially be appreciated by uh, so many fans and and even some media types, you know, uh, Hap and uh, Jim Henderson, who was a staple in new Orleans. Oh yeah. Uh, They were all happy for me, you know, and thought it was a big deal that I had gone, you know, from Baton Rouge and New Orleans, you know, to ESPN and, and had at that point, you know, a pretty solid and high profile uh, run of about six, seven years on ESPN. I'd done the original college game day. I'd called a lot of college football and basketball. And, um, and it was, it was really a lot of fun. It, it, it did feel like a homecoming, but I think the reason why the game was such a big deal is because it was on national television and it was, southern miss and tulane and and an opportunity to impress uh the committee that that, that, you know tulane wants to get in they want to get a good seed they want to you know maybe be a sweet 16 team you know that i think that's what was going on and uh it was an opportunity to showcase uh this program to a national audience in a way that it hadn't been you know those those games that i did on that were syndicated were really games that unless you were a fan of the team, you didn't even know they were on. Uh, this game was one of those that was going to be on a Thursday night. Uh, that was a big, you know, on, we had ACC. We usually had ACC, SEC, uh, Wednesdays. We had big Monday with big East and ACC on, uh, big East and big 10 on Monday, ACC, SEC on Tuesday. uh any combination of that, and this was a Thursday night where the Metro got featured, and uh, it was the opportunity for the Two Lane Wave to shine, and they and they did,
2: no doubt. Yeah,
3: that that game still lives in lore here, and you know, I, I wonder with everything that you've called in your career, where does a college basketball game in an environment like Fogelman and Devlin was that night, where does, where does that rank? Like a college basketball frenzy environment like that was 30 years ago, where does that sit on your
1: rank? I mean, it's in the upper tier and it's always special when it's home, you know, getting to come back to your roots. And I remember telling, you know, being able to tell V what to expect a little bit about the team, you know, he knew Perry well, he knew Bobby Crimmins well, Uh, We had a lot of storylines to tell, too, because anytime you have a great team that nobody's seen, and Tulane at that point was a great team that nobody had really seen that much of. you got to remember, back in those days, we didn't have FS1. We didn't have um, a gazillion games on every night. ESPN was pretty much destination viewing if you were a fan of college basketball, especially during the week. It was the only network carrying college basketball you know, on cable during the week. And, uh, you know, they had the, the posse. You know, you had this story of players that were uh, starters that really weren't the best players, but they were the more consistent guys. They were the guys that stayed with the program when Perry got there. And uh, it's really funny, Greg Gary, who was a starting point guard on the team, is now the head coach at Mercer, had been on the staff at Purdue with Matt Painter until a couple of years ago, he actually became a head coach for the first time at St. Mary in my hometown when it was Division One in Shreveport. And he became a neighbor of mine. He lived about a block and a half uh, at Southern Trace Country Club here where I live. And we played golf together. Uh, Greg was on that team with uh, G.J. Hunter and David Whitmore, Anthony Reed, Matt Pop. Uh, but the, the the real story were the guys that would come in after the first time out. Okay. You got the first TV timeout or first call timeout. And here comes the posse pointer Williams, who was a slasher, a driver, Kim Lewis, who had a great pull up jumper. Carlin Hartman was a full court player, Matt green, Makiba Perry. These were guys that could pressure you. They were faster. They were quicker than the starting five. And that was the idea. Okay. We're going to hit you with a second wave, pardon the pun. And we're going to come at you full bore with a, uh, trapping and nonstop pressure and we call it the posse and Perry played it up big he promoted the hell out of it and uh he knew that that's what New Orleans wanted they wanted something special and I've always said this about Tulane um, you know it's it's not a program where the students alone can be um the voices of the program you got to get the city behind you it's not just about this. You don't have a you don't have a large enough alumni back, backing there. You have strong alumni backing, but you don't have big numbers of alumni that right. too late. And as a result, if if you get the students to come, that's great, and they came and they were loud, they were vociferous. But you've got to get the townspeople, the people that live. New Orleans is an old sports town with a lot of, of people that never came close to having a locker at an institution of higher learning that loves sports. you got to get those people, okay, out of the streetcars on St. Charles and have them come in uh, to Fogelman. And uh, Perry was able to bring that kind of panache, that kind of uh, swagger to get New Orleanians behind basketball, not just not just the Tulane student body. And that's what made the house so special was uh, it was rowdy. And it wasn't just rowdy with kids. It was rowdy with townspeople. And <laughs> you know, I'll never forget. I think the name of the place, it's not, it's not around anymore, but there was a place called O'Henry's mm-hmm. that had uh, cheese fries. And every night that Tulane scored 80 points, free cheese fries would come with an order at O'Henry's. And that was the big deal that night. <laughs> well, they're going to get to 80 and you know Valvano the entire 2nd I'm telling you Tim they want those cheese fries you know it was <laughs> it was really a lot of fun and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my buddy Lenny Van Gelder who was working in the sports information department at that time uh Lenny was sort of a concierge for the city not just Tulane he knew everything knew everybody and knew everything about the city of New Orleans and uh uh, ML Lagarde, who was the, um, uh, uh, patriarch of, of sports information at Tulane at that time, uh, was also a dear friend of mine. And, uh, uh, Lenny was his protege. And, uh, he did a wonderful job for, for Perry and for, and for the program still does he in his own way. Uh, he's, um, he's magnificent hall of fame guy, in my opinion, uh, for the state of Louisiana, but, uh, he literally took V everywhere. He Valvano had uh, a, a he, he, we, we didn't we didn't do limousines uh back in those days at ESPN. <laughs> I don't think they Jimmy V couldn't get you a limo. Val, Valvano Valvano did not have it in his contract either, but he didn't need it in New Orleans. It was it was Van Gelder limousines that 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 whole trip. Lenny was taking him everywhere, and Jimmy to you know was he was having the time of his life uh, being everybody's guest. He was America's guest during that period. And he was always excited no matter what game he got to call. And he just, um, he was, he was so impressed, loved it. I, I do remember this, Corey, he, uh, he, he made a big deal out of this and he told Perry, he says, "Now right, you gotta have to get these volleyball lines off the court. <laughs> you know, the vault, vo- the volleyball lines. They're still on, on the well, see, that's a problem. Yeah, v, still on would tell you, v would tell you, that's a problem. That's a problem. They'll, they'll use, a, the, you know, the, the coaches will use that against you in recruiting. It's okay to have the lines, but just use tape. Pull the tape up and get them off there when you have the basketball game. <laughs> he said, nobody wants to be watching a basketball game and thinking about side out two-way, you know? <laughs>
3: Oh Oh. well, I'll say this: they're still on there in Devlin Fieldhouse, but judging by (laughs) recent crowds here and how well men's hoops has been playing, folks aren't uh, folks aren't uh, dissuaded by him right now. It's getting louder. In
1: in honor of Jim Valvano, at some point, uh, Tulane administration, do something whether it's decals, uh, tape, whatever. Uh, for the memory of Jim Valvano, for your basketball program, get rid of the volleyball lines. Whenever you have a game televised, <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, boy, it, I wish Fox had to deal with the American right now, Tim. I'd love to get you back in this <laughs> arena for, to call a game here in the near future. But, uh, uh, you know, but-
1: I love, I love Mike Oresco who runs that league. He's one of my best friends. Mike uh, was the VP of college programming. With me at CBS, as he was at ESPN way back in the day in the 80s and uh, in early 90s, Uh, Mike, probably along with uh, Tom O'Jackson, who's with uh, Mike at the uh, at the conference, at the American conference. I I think OJ scheduled that game. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Tom O'Jackson that scheduled that game. He 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 was a walking encyclopedia Britannica on who was going to be good in football and basketball in college. And uh, I know OJ's very, very proud. I told him I was going to do this with you, and he- yeah, I remember scheduling that game. I knew it was going to be good, and it was. <laughs> but
3: before I let you run here, Tim, I could talk to you for hours, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go here. After this, you, you've called so much, you've seen so many sports, and been a part of so many different sports. And, and we're talking about you know, one game in your in your legendary career that you've called here. Is there anything? that you have not done that you want to call before you exit out of this industry?
1: Wow. That's a, that's a great, um, that's a great question. Uh, as far as, uh, sport, uh, no, not really. I've done, um, the sport that I love that I wish I'd called more of and didn't get a chance to was golf. And really that was for two reasons that I didn't get to do as much of that one, it's a really hard sport to crack. They use more oftentimes than not former players or teachers or even uh, um, golf course architects, okay, to, to broadcast golf more than they do announcers now. But I did do the uh, Masters and the U.S. Open digitally uh, for both CBS and later at Fox. When Fox got the U.S. Open, they've since given it back to, um, to Golf Channel and NBC. Right. Um, and I loved it. Uh, I did. Um, the the, the it, when you get to this stage of your career, uh, as as I have, you know why you're not doing the game. You know why Jim Nance or Mike Tirico or uh, uh, Chris Fowler or uh, Al Michaels or, you know, name that guy doing, you know, the AFC, NFC championship or Super Bowl, you know why those guys are there. And, uh, in some cases, um, especially I think in my case, uh, I was a little bit, uh, impatient early in my career. I wanted to get ahead really quickly. I think all of us suffer a little bit from that. Um, even though I got a quick start at age 14, I I thought, Uh, whenever I was doing something that was significant uh, and was noticed by a lot of people like the original game day. And there's a whole generation out there, probably your age. Okay. That don't even know I did the original. Oh, I knew, I knew, (laughs) but, but but a lot of people your age wouldn't know is my point. Uh, But I, but, but while I was doing it, I, I didn't think about continuing to do it or have a vision of being uh, the college game day host for the rest of my life. I, I, you know, ESPN back when I was there was like a triple a farm club to the big leagues. It was ABC, NBC, CBS. That's where you wanted to go. ESPN was better than local. Okay. It was a better job than a local job, but it wasn't all that. So I was always thinking ahead. I I gotta, I gotta do what I need to do to get here and so on. Uh, but gosh, I, I did the Braves when they won the world series with Ernie Johnson senior, that was then during what many people would think was a career hiccup period. I left ESPN. I had not gotten to CBS yet, but I was doing the Atlanta Hawks and the NBA, the Atlanta Braves. I was also doing the sec early games, uh, the early window games on Raycom Jefferson pilot. I was doing the ACC and sec tournaments. There wasn't really anything I was missing in college, but I was getting to do big league baseball and the NBA, you know, and and the NBA playoffs. So, you know, that was kind of cool. Uh, to be doing that, um, so but but when you make those moves, Corey, what you do is you start over again. You're establishing yourself as um, you know you're not an ESPN guy anymore. You're a CBS guy, okay. And then when when you leave CBS, and it's like okay, I'm I'm trying to make sure people know now I'm a Fox guy, you know. And the people you work for, you're having to uh, you know win win those people's favor. And to do that, uh, you probably have to take a little bit of a step back. I, as far as big time events, uh, every game I do, I think is as big as, as the next game. Uh, would I like to do you know, uh, a, a Super Bowl or a national championship like Nampa? Those, those are few and far between. I mean, you can count on one or two hands, the guys in their careers that ever got a chance to do that. I think for me, I think um, as, as far as doing studio as well as games, okay, being the so-called five-tool talent, the guy that can do a diverse number of sports, can do studio, can do games, um, I'd like to think that I fall into that category, a guy that you could put literally on anything and he could do it well. Uh, I think that's my legacy. It's not going to be about you know, Super Bowls or Final Fours or championships, but was he relevant? did he do games that people will remember and remember forever like this one in your case, you know, that, that matters to me. This is, this is cool. Uh, And each game has its own piece of my history in that's, that's going to always stay with me. And uh, when all this came up and I didn't know that it was the anniversary and all that people were sending me the YouTube uh, highlights of it. And uh, you know, I get that a lot from other moments in games, you know, maybe a a division two national championship where the game was won at the buzzer, you know, and uh, uh, people will remember that, or a Michigan state buzzer beater to go to the sweet 16, uh, LSU buzzer beater to go to the sweet 16. Uh, I worked with Al McGuire, the great Al McGuire in 1998. uh, And I did regional finals. So on two occasions, I sent teams to final fours. You know, that's memorable you know, only, only four guys are getting to work that day and I'm one of them. So, um, I guess the answer in a long winded way is no, I, I, I don't have anything out there that I feel like I need to do that. I haven't done. Okay. Uh, but I, but I still think my best shows are still ahead of me. I, I don't think that I'm done chopping wood or that I'm, uh, I've gotten to a point where I'm not improving. I I think I'm getting better with every show that I'm on. And, uh, if you don't feel that way, then you probably don't need to be doing this. You know, if at some point I get to to the thought that, well, you know, this is just another event. Uh, I'm not that enthused about it. Then I probably should be on the love boat at that point, sailing out to sea with my wife, uh, you know, talking about, uh, uh, you know, what we did back, uh, in the good old days. And I'm not to that point yet. So, um, maybe there's more out there, who knows, you know, as long as you stay at it and you stay enthused and you stay passionate, then, um, I still think the best can still be in front of you, even when you're, you know, getting a uh, social security cards in the mail.
3: <laughs> not, not bad for a kid from Shreveport who's yeah. got to start calling high school football with his dad and as someone who my start was calling baseball with his dad uh that was that was then
1: something. You, can, you can identify with that right
3: yes yes indeed Tim uh thank you for doing this this was a real treat for me I know our fans are gonna love hearing this as well uh, going back to that game that night in this arena and now with things are trending in the right direction for this program and, and that a- arena sounding like it did that night, 30 years ago. Hey,
1: I'm a big fan of, of Ron Hunter. Uh, I, I've, I've had his games. I've, I've covered him in the tournament before. Uh, you got a great one there. And uh, I don't doubt that you're only going to get better as you move towards March because his teams are like that. They evolve. So you guys stay healthy and who knows what might happen. Uh, I think the American is a league that's usually going to get multiple teams in the tournament. Uh, not as many, perhaps as the P six would, would, would get in. Uh, and in the P six, uh, uh, remember horesco wouldn't like me saying this, but I put the, I put the big East in that category. I do think the American is the next and, you know, getting multiple teams in two or three is, is something I think that is conceivable. And uh, you may not have to win the tournament to get in. You know, if you can just continue to play at this level and then then have a, a resume that's worthy, you know, moving forward. So I wish you all the best on that. If there is a theme to this
3: week's show, it's the collective understanding of what a special place Fulgerman Arena in the Devlin Fieldhouse really is. Whether you were there 30 years ago when Tim was courtside or this past Saturday when myself and Gus were courtside, That building is something truly great when Tulane basketball is doing what it did back in 1992 and what both programs are doing in 2022. Men's hoops at number six, Houston, Wednesday night, then back home Saturday against East Carolina. Women are home Wednesday night against Tougaloo before heading to Tampa on Sunday. Tickets available for both home games at TulaneTicks.com. Join us. Of course, if you can't make it out, every game can be heard across the Tulane Sports Network from Learfield. Great slate at City Park this weekend for men's and women's tennis. Women take on Alabama on Saturday, Mississippi State on Sunday. Then the men host LSU on Saturday. Matches both days, both programs start at 1 o'clock, and mission is free. So get on out there this weekend to City Park. Tulane Baseball inching closer to opening night on February the 18th. Season tickets on sale now. Intra squad scrimmages happening this weekend. Keep an eye on Tulane Baseball's Twitter account. When those times will be released for the scrimmages coming up this weekend, those are free of charge as well at Turchin Stadium. Track and field on the road in snowy Boston this weekend. Have the Crimson Elite in Cambridge on Friday. Scarlet and White invite in Boston on Saturday. Best of luck to that crew. My thanks to Gus Kattengill, Ron Hunter, Lisa Stockton, and Tim Brando for joining the show this week. And my thanks to all of you for listening in. Make sure you subscribe to The Current on all your favorite podcast platforms, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. The Current is a production of the Two-Lane Sports Network from Learfield. Well, that will do it for this edition of The Current, presented by Brian Subaru. The Current was also brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Louisiana, Capital One Bank, Mandeville Seafood, Louisiana Lottery, Tulane Orthopedics, Crystal Clear Imaging, Children's Hospital of New Orleans, Acme Oyster House, Dos Equis, Coca-Cola, and Surf Pro. Until next time, I'm Corey Glore, and as always, roll waves.